0: Well, it is our privilege this morning uh, to have the good-looking twin brother with us. That, what, I think that's what I was told to say. So that's right, isn't it? Yeah, it works. Uh, Jonathan Dorst is coming to us from Grace Church in Stillwater, Oklahoma. And uh, so we are greatly appreciative of him being here for this day. And he's going to bring God's word to us this morning. Jonathan. Thanks, Dave. It's good to be back in Northern Virginia. I, for those of you who don't know me, I lived here a while back for a couple of years, and I served at a sister church over in South Riding, and I was instrumental in helping uh, recruit my brother Dave to get up here, and then once he and his family were good and settled. I took off with my family to uh, Stillwater, Oklahoma, to to plant the PCA church there, and so we've been there the last seven and a half years. Um, we're in a similar situation to you guys. We meet in a school. Uh, we have to set up chairs every week, so you got that going for you, you don't set up chairs. Uh, we have to do, you know, put all, bring all of our equipment in and whatnot. So. I'm very familiar with this setup, but it is good to be back here, and it's a great privilege to be asked to preach and to be a part of this service. My sermon text today is from a New Testament book near the end of the New Testament, 1 Peter. It's the first of two letters we have from the Apostle Peter, and I'm going to be reading just a few verses from chapter 1, and uh, it's a tradition in my church, so for the sermon scripture, we stand for the reading of God's word. So let's stand for this reading. 1 Peter 1, starting in verse 10. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Amen. Please be seated. Now some of you may be wondering what we're doing at this part of the service, what we're going to be doing. with What is an ordination? Why are we making such a big deal about it, to have all these men dressed up in suits? Uh, What is ordination? Well, ordination, very simply, is the church recognizing what a man believes that he recognizes about himself, which is that he is called to be a minister of God's gospel. And at the core of what any ordained minister does, I believe, is the preaching of the word and the administration of the sacraments. Now, a minister does a lot of things. We could spend the rest of the sermon detailing all of the work, different kinds of things that a minister does. He does evangelism. He does leadership development. He does counseling. He does jail and hospital visitation. Uh, but I believe that at the core of his work is the preaching and the teaching of the Word of God, wrestling with that word, to understand it and try to explain it and apply it to His people. And this passage that I just read, and that we're going to look at a little deeper, is, I believe, is about preaching. Now, some of you uh, may have thought when you were reading, and that it may have been about uh, Scripture. And I would say you're right. It is somewhat about Scripture because it talks about the Old Testament prophets. And we have the testimony of the Old Testament prophets through Scripture, through the Old Testament. Also, Scripture is a theme that Peter uh, likes to talk about. He will talk about it in, uh, in 2 Peter. Nevertheless, I think it's a both and situation. This passage is talking both about scripture and about preaching. And so we're going to look at three truths about preaching from this passage. They're in your sermon outline. And that is that preaching is traditional, preaching is Christ-centered, and preaching is volatile. Now, the first point, preaching is traditional. Now, by traditional, I do not mean old or boring, okay? Like, you know, some churches have two services, one that's a contemporary service for those people with energy, and one's a traditional service for those without energy, or serious, I guess. I don't mean it in that way. By traditional, I mean part of a larger tradition, And again, when I say that, some of you probably immediately jump to Reformed or Presbyterian. And I even mean don't I I mean bigger than that. When I'm talking about tradition, what I think Peter is talking about here is this tradition goes all the way back to Moses. And it's a tradition of having and explaining and exhorting God's word. It's the apostolic, it's a prophetic tradition that has been part of the world and part of God's people in every age and in every generation from Moses to today. So we are part of that tradition. And look at some of the, look at three things. We're looking at some things that Peter tells us here about this tradition. First thing he tells us is that the Old Testament prophets, as part of their part of the tradition, predicted the life and the sufferings of Jesus Christ. Not just some random messianic figure, but a specific suffering servant who was to be born in Bethlehem, who was going to be of the line of David, who was going to be pierced for our transgressions. The Old Testament prophets predicted these things, and they all came true in the person of Jesus. And so we see very clearly our connection to those writers back in the Old Testament, back in olden times. They talked about Jesus. And today we talk about Jesus. So there is a very strong connection here. Second thing we we learn from Peter here is that the Old Testament prophets announced the gospel to people living in their time, but also to you and me. Look at verse 12. He says, it was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you. And the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you. You know, those prophets long ago were not just prophesying and writing for their people, but they were writing for us. In fact, the Apostle Paul says the same thing in Romans chapter 15. He says, for whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. What Paul is saying, what Peter is saying, is that Isaiah, the prophet, wrote for you. Ezekiel wrote to you. Jonah was written for your benefit. And they probably even had some knowledge that they were writing for future generations. They were setting forth this tradition of the gospel. And the last thing, the third thing we hear from Peter is that, like the New Testament apostles, the Old Testament apostles also preached salvation by grace alone. They preached the gospel. Again, verse 12. He says, and the things that have been now announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Now there's a, a lot of language there, a lot of pronouns in this passage. But basically what I think Peter is saying is that the Old Testament prophets preached the good news. The gospel of Christ. They didn't have all the same details that we do, but they told us what was coming. What I take out from this is that there are not two stories in the Bible. There's not the story of a God of wrath and law in the Old Testament, and then a different story of a God of love and grace in the New Testament. No, there is one story there is a marvelous continuity in all of the books of the Bible, in both Testaments, that there is one story of God acting in grace. God telling those prophets back then, even in the time of Moses and Abraham, that there will come a Redeemer. And the Bible agrees in all of its parts that Jesus Christ is the only way of salvation and the great desire of all nations. Now, Dave, your preaching is to be a part of this great tradition. It's to be in this stream of gospel preaching that goes back to Moses. Your preaching is not to be new or innovative, necessarily. You know, I I get tired of going to... Christian conferences and reading the latest Christian book on the newest way of doing church or, you know, seven practices of a transformational church based on the latest research of those highly effective churches. Now, I know, let me qualify that, I know we need to contextualize our ministry, and we. it is good to learn from those who are doing ministry and doing well. However, It often seems that modern pastors are looking for that silver bullet that will make them finally successful, finally effective in ministry. That new program or that new sermon series. Well, I want to say this. The ministry, there is no silver bullet in the ministry. The ministry is about laying down your life for your people and ministering the word to them over a long period of time. So, your preaching's not to be necessarily new, but it's also not to be competitive or to draw a name for yourself. You know, now, Dave, you and I have always been competitive. Um, it started when you beat me out into the world by nine minutes. And uh, it continued when uh, you were unable to beat me in golf or basketball, beginning <laughs> in middle school. And it will continue next summer if we do the doorstickathlon and I will uh, repeat when. Um, but the pulpit is not the place to be competitive or to show off your moves, it's the place to preach what God has given you to preach to show his glory, and to show the glory of his son. Your preaching also is to be solidly biblical. Now, the whole world contains wonderful insights for understanding, application, illustration. Uh, But your message must at core be the gospel message of Scripture, not the latest headline or the latest opinion poll preaching must be in the tradition of God's revelation to us. Second thing preaching is, is that it is Christ-centered. Now notice the wonderful truth that Peter is developing here in verses 10 and 11. He's talking again, he's talking about the Old Testament prophets, and he says that the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, predicted through them the sufferings and the glories of Jesus Christ. Now, there are some people who say you can't read Jesus into the Old Testament, right? The Old Testament is about, you know, the Jewish people and their life and their religion. And you can't read Jesus into all of that. That's, you know, that's Christians doing too much, The problem with that is that I don't think that's what the New Testament tells us. The New Testament tells us that Jesus is the fulfillment of all that God was doing in Old Testament Israel. On basically every page of the New Testament, we see the New Testament writers using the Old Testament to understand the person of Jesus and to identify God's people and to give them instructions. Jesus himself told us that he wasn't just found in a few places that are obvious. Remember the story after Jesus has been crucified and resurrected, he's out and he meets up with uh, two disciples of his, not the 12 apostles, but two other disciples, and, and he begins to walk with them. And they saw him crucified, but they didn't know he was resurrected, and they don't recognize him. And they're downcast, and they they begin to talk. And they're talking about all the events that have taken place in Jerusalem and with the Christ. And and Luke tells us, in Luke 24, he says, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, that's a shorthand way of saying the Old Testament, uh, Jesus interpreted to them in all the scriptures right, and the scriptures for Jesus and the apostles was the Old Testament. All the scriptures, the things concerning himself. The whole Old Testament is full of Christ. Verse 10 tells us, that these prophets searched and inquired carefully to know when Jesus would be coming. Now it says what person or time the spirit in Christ of Christ then was indicating. Actually, probably a better translation here is what or what manner of time Christ was coming. They knew the Messiah was coming. They just didn't know when. They knew he was coming, and they were pinning their hopes on a Savior who would come for all the world. You know, uh, Dr. David Murray even brings out an interesting idea. He says that though the New Testament gives more specific details on the life and person of Christ, the Old Testament actually has quite a bit of detail that the New Testament doesn't, probably New Testament builds on. He says this, he says, Nowhere in the New Testament are we given such insight into the emotions and the feelings of the Lord Jesus during his sufferings as we are in Psalm 22 and in Psalm 69. He says, Likewise, Isaiah 53 contains considerable detail that the New Testament doesn't have about Jesus. Dave, whatever passage of Scripture you preach you make sure, whether it's Genesis, Revelation, the Psalms, or 1st and 2nd Corinthians, you need to preach Jesus Christ, because that passage is preaching Christ in some way. And if you don't open up how Christ is predicted or foreshadowed, or logically necessary from this passage. You have not given the full meaning of the passage, and I believe you haven't fully preached the gospel. If you preach the Old Testament as all about laws and principles of living, you're sending people back to the harshest slave driver there is, the law. Now certainly, biblical preaching does preach the law, and the law is good for God's people, but never... Biblical preaching never fails to proclaim how Christ has fulfilled the law and how he has triumphed over death and judgment. You can't leave people with the bad news that we're sinners. You have to continually remind them, as the scriptures do, that there is good news in Jesus. The last thing that preaching is is preaching is volatile. Now last year, uh, the Boise State Broncos beat the University of Oregon Ducks in a very close football game. And as there was a running back, Legarrett Blunt, and he was as he was walking across the field going to leave, one of the Boise State players uh, started to taunt him. And then the, the Boise State player turned away from him. And Blunt turned towards him. You saw him. Cocked his fist and he jumped towards him and unleashed a right hook on his jaw that made his knees buckle. The end of a sporting event can be volatile, especially if it's a close game. Especially if we have angry losers. And I want to tell you that true Christ-centered preaching is volatile. It is volatile like we cannot imagine. Now, verse 12 says something very fascinating to me. It says this, it says that angels long to look into these things. Now, there's a couple of verbs here, and uh, I might get boring and technical for a minute to kind of hopefully bring out the the sense of it. The first verb is the Greek word epithumeo, which means to desire, or strongly long it's used for a strong desire, either good or bad. So these angels strongly desire to look. The second verb is to look, which is the word perikypto which means to peek or to peer into a situation from the vantage point of an outsider. Now, think of the picture we get here. The picture we get is of unseen Intensely curious observers looking in on the church's worship and proclamation. They're searching, these angels are searching as intently as those prophets were searching for Christ to to hear about and to know about Christ and his gospel. Now, Dave, Dave, when you get up to preach, I don't want you to just look at the back row and see who is staying awake back there and who's nodding. I know that doesn't happen here. It just happens to me sometimes. And I don't want you to just look at the front row to see who's scribbling notes and who's doodling. And I don't even want you to look for after the service for that affirmation who really enjoyed it. Uh, If you only look at what's happening in the physical realm, you will be bound to be disappointed. I want you to look at what cannot be seen with physical eyes. You must look with faith all around you to the angels who are looking, who are bending their ears to hear The message of Christ. Angels who can't believe how amazing the good news is that you are preaching. Angels who hear you proclaim Christ crucified and they look at one another and they say, did you hear that? Did you hear what that pastor said? He told them the story. He told them the story of Jesus. He told those people, and he brought light into the world. These angels long to hear that. And even if nobody raises an eyebrow to your preaching here on earth, the preaching of the gospel is a cause for meditation and celebration in the heavenly places. Eh. There's an amazing phrase in Paul's book letter to the Ephesians where he says that the church is making known the mysteries of God to all the heavenly, in all the heavenly places, to all the heavenly beings. God has given us somehow an amazing responsibility and privilege to preach Jesus, not just here but in the cosmos not just the angels but more importantly the Lord God almighty who has a passion for his name and his son to be glorified and if you will preach the gospel even if nobody remembers it tomorrow the lord jesus will remember it for all eternity and will be delighted preaching is volatile it's powerful and it has the capacity to revolutionize the world How do I know that? Because it is. You know, sometimes we in the West think that the gospel's not powerful. We think that Christianity is maybe stalling because we see some of our young people going to college and leaving the faith. But if you look at the statistics and the movements of what's going on worldwide, you see that the gospel is advancing. Powerfully, in Latin America, in China, in Africa, in the Philippines, in Korea. People are coming to Christ through casual conversations, yes, but primarily through the proclamation of the church and the preaching of faithful ministers. Your job as one ordained in the service of Christ, representing Jesus to the people, is to be faithful to deliver Christ's word with humility, integrity, and power. Amen. May it be so. Let's pray. Our Father, we are immensely grateful that you have not left us alone to fend in this world with only our imaginations and only our reason, but you have given us your word to guide us And you've not just given us your word, but you have given us teachers and preachers. The Lord Jesus, when he ascended into heaven, the scriptures say that he gave good gifts to men and officers of the church and ministers and evangelists called to do this work And I thank you, Father, for the testimony of this church and its solid commitment to preaching the scriptures, to preaching and teaching the word and the gospel of Christ. I thank you for Reverend Silvernail. I thank you for the soon-to-be Reverend Dorst, Reverend Coffeen, and all the other pastors who have ministered here. And I pray that this church would continue to be a beachhead for truth. And for generations to come, that it would be a place where the gospel is preached. And where we trust in your power and in your words, not in our uh, methods, not in our cleverness. But the power of God is the gospel. May we trust that in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen.